Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the radio ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for the series, and I have with me today Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian, and Amy Russell, a former New Ager who has some warnings for the church. In the last few episodes, we've been talking about yoga, and it might seem like we're staying on this a long time, but there's a lot of information that you really need to understand to to understand exactly how dangerous this can be. So in our last episode, we were talking about the secular mainstream westernized yoga, just the yoga that you would get at a yoga class down at, a, at the YMCA or wherever you go. Amy has two more categories of yoga that she wants to discuss with us. So I'll let you take it from there, Amy. Thank you. Yeah, so the first category that of the um, asanas, which is pose in Sanskrit, we talked about the gods and demigods that they consist of. And the second category of poses are creature and creation poses. These are probably the most recognizable. These are said to be divine animals, mammals, insects, and objects in nature. So in Hindu lore, these, these beings are, are deified. And to name a few, Padmasana is lotus. It's considered to be transformative. We open to the true self, emulating the lotus flower unfolding. And then Gomukhasana is cow face pose, because of course in India, cows are given elevated status. And then there's Vajrasana, which is thunderbolt. There's Garbhapindasana, which is womb embryo pose. Trikonasana, which is triangle. And then another one is Dandasana, and this is staff pose. It reminded me of Jessica's Bible reference in the last segment of Moses and Pharaoh's magicians with their staffs. So right. there's an actual staff referring to, <laughs> there's an actual pose referring to staff pose. And then uh, Shalabhasana is locust pose. And this is essentially referring to one of the Old Testament plagues. So now locusts have been deified according to Hindu lore, which is just kind of absurd because those living in abject poverty are overlooked, but let's deify the locust, you know? Right. So it's just, I've been checking biblical references to note the parallels and how these distinctions tie in. And they correspond with specific biblical passages and events until that they diverge, you know, into Satan's contrived rendition. So it's like they correspond until they don't. But you have to know your Bible because it can be really tricky. Um, and then the Bhujangasana is cobra. And so this is the most revered because of the significance of the serpent. So we emulate cobra so as to be filled with his power. Um, and then two, the, the two most popular are down dog and up dog, Adamuka and Urdhvamukha Shvanasana. And these are done within vinyasa. Vinyasa is Hindi Sanskrit for breath and movement. So they're transitional reset poses. So everyone does them in yoga. And then I mentioned the Surinamaskar. These are sun salutations. So they signify new birth. So as we commence the day, we worship the sun. And then to recap, Shavasana, corpse pose, the final pose, um, the significance of this depiction of death to our old self. We become still and unattached. The moving meditation that we did previous to this pre prepares us for this stillness. That, and we've cultivated the emptying of the mind 
the invoking of spirits, and we've now composed ourselves as, as what? As defenseless targets, and we become beacons for the spirits and demons to invade. So we awaken out of this meditative trance, we enter into new birth, and where we then experience this awesome supernatural high that we were referring to. But we must do this every day, which is a glaring contradiction to Christ's death and resurrection, a finished work we did nothing to deserve, yet he offers it to us freely when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal savior. We're complete in him. So it's the exact opposite of what this daily practice requires of us. It reminds me of Romans 1 where it says they worship and serve the creation or the creature rather than the creator. Right, right. Right. And then moving on to the third category, these consist of meditative passive poses. So these focus on anatomy and they seem like neutral poses, but they're devised to induce a transcendent state of consciousness. So to name a few, they seem so harmless. Padanhastasana is foot to hand, Baddhakanasana is bound angle, Shirsasana is headstand, Sharvangasana is shoulder stand. And then the last one I'll mention, Sukhasana, it's just seated cross-legged. So it seems completely harmless. And this is typically taken at the end, following the emergence out of Shavasana, which is corpse pose. So we remain in a deep meditation and we allow the practice to assimilate. But what are we assimilating? You know, we're assimilating these spirits to enter us, we've opened ourselves up and now these spirits can assimilate, which is invade. And then so from this, you can then rouse the dormant snake spirit to pierce the successive chakras, activating their power, and then subsequently slipping through the open crown chakra. And then to point out, Kundalini experiences are not caused by an energy. They're caused by a demonic spirit embodying a snake. Because Energy is non-living, it's not aware, as opposed to a spirit is alive and it possesses awareness. So kundalini, it's not kundalini energy, it's actually kundalini spirit. And the ascent of the spirit is said to depict higher levels of consciousness until one is liberated from embodied existence, thus transcending. And the serpent is the key to this. So this spirit attaches to a yoga practitioner through habitual practice, which induces these psychosomatic effects that I mentioned. They can range from pain, fear, trauma to calm and euphoria. And because of this phenomenon, it's clear that the spirits of yoga are real demonic entities, as Jessica previously stated, we're yoking um, in yoga with these demonic forces. And the yoking is acquired through that through the joining of demonic spirits. So then circling back to the deified Hindu sage and seer Patanjali, um, he is called the father of yoga. And I studied so much on Patanjali when I was involved in yoga and yoga teacher training um, because he is the father of yoga. And he's depicted in this Hindu lore as a hybrid half man, half snake. So the serpent spirit is said to have possessed Patanjali and he then channeled the serpent's message of yoga, which makes yoga serpent philosophy. Wow. wow. Yep, yep. And just like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, he conveys supernatural knowledge to us as truth 
and it's laced with falsehood. So the most convincing lies are always the ones laced with truth. All of Satan's lies are predicated on the Bible upon which he contrives his own self-serving rendition. But to evade detection, he weaves in a little truth to make it plausible to the undiscerning and Christians who are not grounded in sound biblical doctrine. But it's a counterfeit message. We saw that um, with Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. He used scripture. It wasn't that he was ignorant of scripture, mm-hmm. but he twisted it. And Jesus corrects him at every at every point. Mm-hmm. So we can't just assume that because something sounds biblical or because something sounds good, that it's right. We have to we have to have the right first of all the right biblical categories. And we have to understand how to rightly apply scripture and Satan's really good at twisting it. Yeah. Well, the meaning of scripture is determined by the Holy Spirit filled, Holy Spirit inspired biblical authors. Right. Not by the reader. Okay. So the Bible doesn't have multiple meanings. It has the meaning intended by God who inspired the Bible. And part of the way I've noticed over the years people get deceived is that so many false teachers will appeal to the Bible, but they're assuming the reader determines the meaning, not the author. So then everybody gets to have their own meaning. And Satan's meaning is just as good as anybody else's, if you're going to follow that sort of thinking. So because it's not given once for all. But the Bible says the faith was once for all handed down to the saints. There's a once for all in it. You know, Amy, I was thinking as you were mentioning again, I keep thinking about evil spirits, and you said that they don't claim there are evil spirits? They don't have, um, as you said, a doctrine on evil spirits. Um, But they do talk about them just as negative or positive. Right. So that's kind of odd because it seems to me to be kind of a whitewash, at least from the material I know from from the biblical uh, data. The, the ancient people in various cultures believed there were evil spirits. For example, if you look in the Bible, when um, Jesus encountered this Gadarene in Gadara, which is a pagan area, uh, the area of the Gadarene. So he was there chained in a cemetery and crazy, and he had a legion of evil spirits, but the local pagans believed he had evil spirits. Right, right. And right. the situation was so bad that it's a total miracle how Jesus healed him. Right. The guy immediately was in his right mind and was told by Jesus to go tell about the mighty deeds of God. And then you have in Acts, these sons of Sceva, uh, a Jewish uh, magician, and they were trying to cast out evil spirits. And you have the Jewish historian Josephus actually explain some of the techniques Jewish exorcists use to try to get out evil spirits by using the roots of certain plants and trying to draw the spirits out through their nostrils. And so uh, shamanism in history is always acknowledge evil spirits. It's kind of odd that all of a sudden this yoga is in America and it doesn't think there's any evil spirits. Yeah. And I feel like we're just moving in a direction of, um, as 
talked about in the Bible, is it, what is it, Isaiah 520? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Yeah. I feel like we're moving in the direction of, um, there is, it's not necessarily evil. We want to allow the serpent to embody us. So when he does that, there's such a deception, you know, so evil becomes good. And then the Christianity becomes evil. And so it becomes twisted. And I know from my personal experience, like I started seeing um, the evil in the light of good. I felt like I was moving toward light when I was moving toward darkness. So everything gets really skewed with that mindset. And, you know, you're also allowing these, what we were talking about, the psychosomatic effects of it. And those are considered to be good because you're moving toward your enlightenment. So there's no distinction between good and evil in that realm. Evil is, if, if we focus on the positive, we can turn it into good. We can turn it into the positive. And then the evil is what the Christian is doing and saying, because sin shouldn't be spoken of in the context of us as sinners. So then so, it's really it's it's really just erasing boundaries. There's no good and there's no evil and mm-hmm. we're going to merge the spirit world with the material world. Yeah. It, it's like taking all the boundaries that God has drawn and erasing them all and making it all one thing. And those of us who say no there are boundaries and God has drawn them and we're the evil ones. Right. Yeah. And when, when Jesus brought me out, I just realized I was so tired of the ambiguous, the, you know, the etheric, all of these different realms. I just craved biblical doctrine. I craved absolute truth. I was so thankful that to read in the Bible that you're a sinner saved by grace. You know, it was like, thank God there's, there's actual boundaries here. And you know, that, that was what was the, the, the most, um, uh, comforting for me was the boundaries that were set up in biblical doctrine because I was so tired of the ambiguous realms. That's that's good, Amy. You know the series that uh, airs before this one does. We were talking about boundaries that God made and the dangers of boundary crossing. Pastor Eric and I, and one of the boundaries was the fact that God ordained that we'd have civil government rather than these hostile fallen beings interacting directly with humans. Mm -hmm. It's God's mercy that we don't see and interact with the spirit world. And as we said earlier, God did not equip us to function in that world. And it takes a lot of work and a lot of uh, uh, mind twisting and body twisting, literally, to try to get into a world that God keeps us out of for our own benefit and our own good. Yeah. You know, I was also wondering, you're talking about all these poses and what they mean. Mm -hmm. Now, while you're doing all this, are you still trying to do um, this chanting or something to silence the mind, or does that happen in two separate sessions? The chanting happens separately. Uh, You begin and end the invocation and benediction. Um, but while you're in the pose, you're focused on the deep breathing, which is called Ujjayi, which means victorious in Sanskrit. So the Ujjayi breath 
is what you focus on in these poses and that will lead you into an altered state. But yeah, that, that I know from my own research and some of the writing I've done, mm -hmm. focusing on breathing, some false teachers bring that into the church and call it breath prayers. Yes, yeah. And I've seen Christian teachers, uh, famous ones that brought mysticism into the church, say, talk about breath prayers. And uh, I breathe out badness. I breathe in goodness. It's, they would do things like that. And we've written articles about that. Mm -hmm. But the point of it is, is to not rationally think about what's going on. Yeah, you want to drop your, you want to empty your mind. You want right. to drop your thoughts. Because if you rationally thought about it, your mind might start thinking of categories yeah. and start thinking, wait a second, this is evil. Wait a second, this is from the devil. Wait a second, this isn't what God said in the Bible. But you don't do that in the East. You just have this idea of uh, silencing the mind and getting in touch with this other realm. Right. And that was, that's something that Satan wants us to do because our mind, God created our mind to function, um, you know, to reason and question and think. And that's the first thing Satan wants to do is drop all thought, open your mind, but don't think. Uh, yeah. Right. So open your mind to evil, but don't think about why is don't think about, you know, um, it's like you want to elevate your awareness, but don't rely on your reasoning. So it's just, it, it, it completely is the opposite of, of what you're trying to accomplish through meditation, through this new age meditation. Drop your mind, focus on your breath. So don't think, even though we're moving into uh, heightened awareness, but don't think. I understand. You know, uh, in the book of Acts, which I've been teaching through for a long time, mm -hmm. Paul went in into the synagogues and was reasoning from scripture. Yeah. And even in Isaiah, God said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Uh, we're expected to use reason because being created in the image of God, that's how we survive. We've, I talked about that before, I think, in this series. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible sees reasoning as long as our reason is submitted to the truth of Scripture and seeking the truth as a good thing. Now, there's such a thing as false reasonings where people devise foolish arguments that aren't valid, but it takes reason to show the difference between a valid and invalid argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and on the note of that, it's like God created us in his image. Satan hates God. So it stands to reason Satan hates humans. So by their very creation, by definition of our creation. So he, his whole agenda is to destroy us because we were created in God's image. That's exactly right. You know? And so is this deep breathing and meditation a part of just the, we'll call it the YMCA yoga? Every yoga class does focus on the breath. That's the, you know, the breath is where it all starts. The breath links body and mind. And in the breath is where you find your calmness. You know, that's where the relaxation comes from. So every pose is um, a sequence of breaths. 
and then you come out and you move to the next pose and then another sequence of breaths. So you very much focus on the breath. So that does not sound like exercise or stretching to me. Yeah, it, it is in the pose you're stretching, um, but you are very focused on just dropping the breath. You're not focused on the things around you. You're not even focused on the pain in your body. You're supposed to just focus on the breath. You know, breath is life. Focus on that. And then, so is that a version of self-hypnosis? It is. Yeah, the altered states are um, gained through the self-hypnosis, which comes through the breath. Wow. When you focus on the breath, you move into an altered state um, because that is what leads you to the, the meditation that they're talking about. So then yeah. what's the purpose of the meditation? The purpose of the meditation is to drop into an altered state so we can access our divinity, so we can access our God nature. Okay. But the so breath there's really is, no possible way it's ever just exercise. It, it, people it do, be. yeah, it's not just exercise, but people do it for exercise. But when you leave the, um, when you leave the practice daily, you have opened yourself up to the spirit realm. So it's not just exercise in yoga because whether you realize it or not, you have spirits that are now entering you, invading you, up, operating through you. And like after yoga, people always say, oh, they had a, they had a yoga brain because you, you just forget, you forget things. You forget your mat, you forget your hoodie. Just people leave things behind all the time because we've emptied our minds. We've dropped our thoughts throughout wow. the whole class. So people just don't think properly. And then you leave and get in the car to drive. So, oh, no. yeah. And you're just not in your right mind. And I found that with the Kundalini practice, um, I would move into road rage so quickly because you've opened all of that up inside and it has to come out somehow. So like the rage factor and the depression factor all came into play. And I was just like, why am I feeling like this? I'm supposed to be so elevated. What happened? And it was always just really, it was always a contradiction. Everything I felt was a contradiction of what I was supposed to feel. Wow. Well, you know, Amy, uh, however they want to portray this as peaceful and in tune with the universe and positive and all those things. The reality is that humans um, in their sinful state are alienated from God. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Mm -hmm. And we're alienated from God in our minds. Paul talks about that in Romans 1 as well. And the fact is we're in the, if we don't get, uh, redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We're in the domain of Satan. Right. So there's nothing to actually end up being truly in contact with than your own sinful mind and soul and the evil spirits, because that's all there actually is in that world mm -hmm. because you've been even more alienated from God and the truth. Mm -hmm. And it's, it ends up that way. It just does. And there are demons, whether they believe in demons or not. And I have talked to hundreds of people now over the last 40 years in, in regard to deliverance 
wanting to be free. Mm-hmm. And they all say the same thing. This is real and it's harmful and it's trying to destroy us. And that's uh, that's just the way it is. So when, as you're describing your experience, if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit because you don't know Christ, what is going to come out once you empty your mind? Yeah, evil. Yeah, evil, exactly. Nothing good. Nothing good. And then just as a side note, um, my, my Kundalini teacher would always begin her class with chanting the mantra Satanama, which according to Sanskrit, translates truth is our identity. So we would do that for about five minutes before class began. We would just chant this, this mantra. And when I came out of the new age, I listened to um, the author and speaker, Joanna Michelson, who had some similar experiences. Because of course, like you said, everyone's situation is very similar when they come together and, and discuss it. And she specifically mentioned this mantra, Satanama. And she said, she goes, I know what they say it means, but break it down. Satanama, Satan love. So that's what I was chanting every day wow. in these classes. And it's like, people just don't realize that you're consenting by showing up and participating. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you, if you know it or not, or if you believe it or not, these, demon, these evil spirits exist, whether or not you believe it. And like I said, they prefer you don't believe it because then your guard is down, then you have no resistance. Mm-hmm. Amy, would you think that, uh, that I, I know what I think, but there are many other occultic tools like uh, astrological tables, Ouija board, tarot, uh, cards. D- tarot cards, divination devices. I know some of the pagan cultures have shamans who do things like uh, toss um, chicken feet, you know, and see what direction they land, or they examine the innards of animals. Some of the ancient shamans they look at livers and look for certain patterns. So whatever these occultic techniques are, wouldn't it be safe to say none of them are actually neutral? Yeah, none of them are neutral. You're accessing the spirit realm. So that in and of itself is not neutral. It's not energy, it's a spirit. Energy is neutral. Energy is non-living. Spirits are living. So you're accessing the spirit world, but they, they'll, they'll put the caption of energy just to make it sound safe. I know. know? Yeah. Yeah. And then to revisit the discussion of warning labels, having to be assigned to these spiritual practices, you know, and a glaring distinction to the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, there is no need for warning labels. We do not receive the Holy Spirit to our detriment. There's no danger in love, joy, peace, long suffering. Yeah. There's no danger to the fruits of the spirit. No, there's no danger other than, uh, the danger would be that a lot of hostile people may not like you. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. This will change your life. But, yeah. but, that's, but, but to your own self, all you have is the benefit of God being at work in your life, bringing the love, joy, and peace, and patience, and goodness, and kindness, and the kind of things that are part of God working in the life of Christians. And that's right. what we want to have. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing is such a big lie, and it, I have talked to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who uh, have 
you know, that had really bad things happen to them and who were in these things in their past. I, one thing I do have to emphasize is that God will bring us out completely. There's no karma in coming out of the occult. Mm -hmm. And let me explain that. Some people get confused and they think, well, I spent so many years in the occult. Now it's going to take so many years for me to get out of it. Like as if they had to suffer to, for what they did for so many years. I had one guy actually tell me that. That's what he thought, who had gotten out of the occult. And he thought he was going to suffer for every year he was in it. Yeah. That's just karma. That's not the biblical doctrine. The truth of the Bible, and this is what I tell dozens of people. Every week I get emails. God removes the whole person out of the domain of darkness. And at one point in time, at our conversion, we are removed from the domain of darkness and transferred, that's the word in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that's a once and for all thing. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't have a process. Okay, we need to have our minds renewed by the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to think differently. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. And we need to keep believing the promises of God and know that our sins are forgiven. But it isn't like now we're going to have to get some Christianized shaman to get the demons out of us. Yeah. I've been teaching that for decades. But an awful lot of false teachers that create an occultic process to get people out of the occult. Yeah, which is crazy. It, it's, a one, it, it's, it's a one moment in time, complete transfer from one to the other. There's no process. He, he, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't partly save us and then leave us to figure out what else we need to do. Mm -hmm. I know, and it's the lie of Satan that, well, you, what you did was so bad, so you're going to have to suffer a whole bunch and the demons are going to come back and all of that. But, you know, if you just want to see an example, Paul said that God used him as an example of saving a chief of sinners. If you read in Acts, the hatred that Paul had for anybody that was a Christian, his rage, threats of slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, making himself a bitter enemy of Christ, having witnessed the stoning of Stephen with approval. When he met Christ, he was redeemed, and set free. And what we need then is, uh, well, I don't know if you can get mega doses of the Word of God, but I sometimes mention that. The Word of God is never going to hurt you. Yep. You can get well, too much of certain vitamins, but you can't get too much knowledge of the Word of God because it's the yeah. truth, and the truth will set you free. All right. I'm going to close us with the Word of God. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Amen. Oh. Amy, we thank God yes. for what He did in your life. Thank you. Right. All right. So for Critical Issues Commentary, this has been Jessica Kramus, Bob DeWay, and Amy Russell. And we'll see you next week.